I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is episode 36 of the Milkman of St. Gaffs, an absurdist horror podcast. Be sure to start with episode one. Today, I'd like to thank a new patron, Euclea, Fly Sprayer. Thank you very much for your support. And thank you to everyone for your patience with the delays lately. I should be less busy in the next week or two. This week's episode is called The Radio, Part 3. It's time for The Milkman of St. Gav's, starring Howie the Milkman. I fell through the feathers. I tried not to breathe the musky air. I fell out into a bright brown sky and watched the fragments of memory falling all around me until I landed in an ocean of them, like broken shards of glass. And I knew I had to somehow put them all back together again before the sky came crashing down on me. But before I could even put two together, I fell down through the sea and out onto a damp, filthy mattress in an alleyway. I would have hurt myself if it hadn't been there. I got up and looked all around. I didn't know exactly where I was, but it looked like the East End. No one was around. A red cat walked by and stared at me like it knew the truth. If I found a main road, I could probably make it back home. It wasn't long, though, before I heard the old, familiar sound of a milk truck. It stopped at the end of the alley. When I got to it, Joseph was inside. At least now I can give you a ride home. I always had to walk back alone and then take the truck back. This happens every night? Sometimes I don't try to go in his house, but Dwyer gets mad. So you you put the mattress? I hurt myself the first couple of times. No one touches it. Maybe they know the mattress is haunted. And you have the same spell? A horrible puzzle that I can't put together. We drove back. We didn't say a lot. But it was nice to know that there was someone out there who'd thought ahead and put a mattress down. I could have broken something. I just looked out my window the whole ride back. It was nice. 
But that was all past now. Sunday was another story. I watched Stormy taking apart the electric bread toaster with a screwdriver while Professor Lammy's little boy hit him in the head with a teddy bear. Lammy kept telling the kid to stop, but he just wouldn't. We were supposed to be having a nice Sunday morning breakfast together at his place. But his toaster was broken, so we couldn't have any toast. I had a nice cup of tea, though, and I was pretty comfortable in the big leather chair. His house was full of bookshelves and antique vases and globes. Sean, please stop. Okay, stop. So, Stormy, where did you learn to do that? Oh, my dad. He was always really good with machines. Uh, Is he still in St. Gaff's? I saw Stormy flinch a bit, and I figured I'd better jump in at this point. Stormy's dad passed away, shot down by the police. You didn't hear about it? Oh, no, Professor Lammy said. He was searching around for the right words to say, but luckily Mrs. Lammy came in and broke up the awkward silence. Your father was killed by the police? She asked. It it was an an accident. It's complicated, Stormy said. It may have been an accident, but those who get in trouble with the police are usually up to no good of one kind or another. She was a professor of chemistry, and Stormy told me afterwards that Mrs. Lammy seemed a bit abrasive. This is great tea, I said. Then she told me all about where she'd gotten it. I didn't really care, since it was probably really expensive, and I was perfectly happy with the red label stuff we got at home. But I'd learned that complimenting the host about things like that is an important part of social grace. Done! The spring came loose. It's back now. It should pop up fine now, Stormy said. Thank you so much, dear. Mrs. Lammy took the toaster back to the kitchen and got to work making toast for us. We heard the kid having a meltdown in the kitchen. Lammy walked in with some nice brown toast and jam, but the kid was still hitting him, punching him in the leg. Then he picked up an old vase and was about to throw it, but Lammy grabbed it out of his hands. Stop it! Stop it! We were a bit taken aback because the professor seemed like such a rational and calm person. He looked at us embarrassed while the kid started to cry. I must apologize. Being a parent, it can take a toll. Overall, it was a nice enough visit. Stormy definitely liked getting out and being social. I thought he'd asked me about all the experiments I'd been doing and if I'd made any progress, but he didn't. After the breakfast meltdown, he was back to his calm, collected self. He just asked about how we were liking living here, and then he wanted to know more about the local traditions of St. Gaff's. I guess he just wanted us to feel at home. Such a nice guy. On the walk home, I got to thinking. Hey Stormy, I didn't know you were good at fixing things. The whole time I was a kid, I was helping my dad out, getting wrenches, feeding solder onto the soldering iron. Well, listen, I'm going to tell you something, but you have to keep it under your hat. The other day, when I was at the lab, I was alone and locked in the room with a big, important machine. I started pushing buttons on it, and I think I broke it a bit. Why were you pushing the buttons, and why were you locked in? Oh, I think the lab guy went out for a sandwich or something and locked me in so I wouldn't get out. And I was really cold and thought maybe the machine would be warm. She looked really perplexed. Anyway, the whole project depends on the machine working and no one's allowed in there except a couple of scientists and me. If they figure out that I broke it, 
I'll be in big trouble, and we'll probably lose the war, too. What if I brought you with me? Then you could try to fix it. I don't know if I'll be able to fix it. I help my dad a lot, but I'm not a tinker. But maybe you could try? How would I even get into the lab? Leave that to me. I was really tired from the crazy week and the night shift, so I had a long, nice nap while Stormy made dinner. But then I ended up not being able to sleep at night. I went for a long walk down to the harbor. It was nice enough down there, but I missed the St. Gaff's Harbor. There weren't as many boats, but I never worried about getting stabbed back there. There were a lot of strange people shuffling about in the shadows here. But still, the sound of the waves and watching all the masts and the sea air, it was refreshing in a way. On Monday, around 2, I put my plan into action. I knew from experience that the guards at the front gate of the experimental labs took the afternoons off. Stormy was nervous until I showed her that we could just push the gate open and walk right in. We snuck around behind the quartermaster's hut and then the three mounds of earth, along the fence and behind the electrocutioner's stall. No one saw us. In here. Someone's going to be in there. Don't worry. Listen, if someone sees us, I'll say Stan wanted to see us and we got lost. I'm kind of an important person around here. They'll cut me some slack. And Stan likes you, so don't worry. Okay. And sure enough, we didn't meet a soul. We sneaked all the way to the laboratory and the door was open. Wow, I've never seen a machine like this. The thermalizer was actually even more amazing. This baby's called the crepusculator. Once we get it running properly, it's going to win the war for us. How's it going to win the war? That's totally classified. I went over and locked the door so we wouldn't be disturbed. I showed Stormy where the tools were, in a shelf I'd seen the scientist use. She started looking the thing over and tapping it here and there, and I was hit with this irresistible wave of tiredness and I couldn't ignore it. I'd hardly slept for a long time now. The new schedule was interfering with my rhythms. Listen, I'm going to have a nap, okay? What? No, you have to help me. Just 15 minutes, okay? Don't look at me like that. Fine. She turned back to the machine. I went into the closet, closed the door, and lay down on the bench. I barely had time to notice the little crack of light under the door when I was just hearing voices. Maybe Stormy was talking to herself? But it wasn't Stormy. It was Sailor's. The smell of the diesel stove was a bit revolting, and so was the cook. There was no air down here, and it took my eyes a bit of time to adjust. The cook was smiling like a loon with a wooden spoon in his hand. I had to get up. The ladder was swaying with the waves. I popped the hatch open. I came up from below decks, and the freezing arctic air was like a breath of new life in my lungs. (sighs) It was just twilight, and the men were hauling on the lines. We were tacking. I watched the sinking sun swing from starboard to port as the bow passed through the wind. The sails caught and the ship felt like it was in the firm grip of some great wind god. You there. Me? You think you're on a pleasure cruise? Get up to the crow's nest. You'll keep watch till midnight. 
I climbed up the rigging until I got to the little basket on the mast way up high. There was a place for me to hang my legs. It seemed like I was swaying much more than the ship below for some reason. I wasn't scared, but I don't think I'd ever been up so high. The sun dipped, but again never quite touched the horizon. The helmsman navigated a path through the icebergs along the coast of some rocky, uninhabited island. I knew I was watching for the green glow of whales. The harpooner was curled up near the bow, snoozing away, but awaiting my cry of whale. But the cry never came that night. Nor did it come the next night, or the one after that. The days were long and exhausting. None of the sailors spoke much. No one questioned my uncanny appearance. They knew I wasn't one of them. They spoke only enough to instruct me. I learned the ropes, so to speak, even though we sailors know it's only a rope if it has no purpose, otherwise it's a line. I learned about jibs and jiving, mainsails and heads. In the freezing wind up in the crow's nest, I almost forgot myself. I sang to distract myself and rubbed my bluish fingers. I hurried down below when my shift was over. I woke the man that I shared a bunk with. He went off to his duties and I was glad for the warmth he left in the sweaty sheets. We ate moldy old bread and drank a glass of rum every day. Not once, though, did we see so much as a regular old whale, never mind the great green fish we sought. I could see, day by day, desperation and widening eyes on the sailors' faces. Every man knew there was a creeping madness on the ship, small now, but growing. We all saw the possible future. Our sheets to the wind, the ship stuck in the ice. Madness, starvation... Scuffles among the weakened men for the bit of flesh still clinging to a dead comrade's ankle bone. The captain tried to hide the wound festering behind his eyes, in his blighted mind, but we all saw it as clear as if it were a bleeding stump at the end of his arm. He couldn't lead us much longer. He couldn't hold this cursed crew together. We were all unutterably alone in the frozen waters. I sat watching the sun as it sank and sank into the arctic fog, like an ugly eye mocking me. I looked into the baleful ocean that refused to surrender its secrets to us. We were a pinprick on the vast canvas, and the sun and the sea and rocks knew that before long there'd be no trace of us above the waves. Overawed by despair, I drifted off to sleep, and mercifully, I woke in the familiar old closet of the Department of Lactic Affairs Experimental Labs. I was groggy. I stumbled out. There was the screwdriver, a panel removed from the crepusculator. The door I'd firmly locked was open, stormy was gone. I ran into the hallway, empty. I ran downstairs and out the door. It was dark. A milkman made his way across the path. I ran to him. What time is it? About nine or so. I was going to be late for my shift. I ran and ran, out through the gate and all the way to the subway. I would just barely make it. Stormy must have gone home. I was just on time. I saw Joseph standing there. I ran alongside the station. 
No Billy on the wall here, just a picture of a bottle and the old slogan, creamy white cleanliness is our habit. I thought about telling Joseph what had happened. I'd never had a spell last days, or was it weeks? I decided I would tell him some other day. We dropped off the bottles in the annex, and it was as unsettling as the first time. It never got easier. I really thought I'd only be doing this for a few days, but it looked like this was my lot for at least a while. I had gone to see Stan. But if I do night shifts, I'll miss the Friday night experiments. It won't work. It's not for me to interfere with how Dwyer runs his station. And the solution is simple. We'll do the experiments Saturday nights instead. I was dumbfounded. Stormy wasn't going to like that at all. Listen, sir, there's something else. I thought I saw you somewhere, possibly. I'm very busy, Howie. I've got to be in a lot of different places at once. Anyways, we got to the dead end where the houses were stacked on top of each other. The little wood carvings of little oval men. Maybe we can take turns. You try the door and I pick you up. And then I pick you up and you try the door. Okay, so it's your turn then. He stared at me with those big eyes, got out and grabbed the milk. I could hear the bottles clattering in his shaky hands. Poor guy. I can't, Howie. Please, can you do it? Fine. I walked up. The sooty air was still thin. I took out the bit of wire and moving slowly like I was underwater, I tried to unlock the door. The muttering was everywhere, and again I blacked out into the feathers of a blackbird. I got off the mattress and Joey arrived just as I got to the end of the alley. Did you ever ask Dwyer what we're supposed to do? No, we, we can't. Why not? We just can't. At least I got to look out the window again on the drive home. Left on Gorton Gross, right on Morangi. Night, Joe. Good night, Howard. I like Joseph. Finally someone I could really talk to. I opened the door quietly since Stormy was probably asleep, but she wasn't. She was sitting in a chair facing me with a knife in her hand and a look of terror on her face. Oh, thank God it's you. What happened? It was your mother. She was banging on the door. What did she want? I don't know. I didn't open. She scares me. That was very strange. Maybe my mother had just gotten lost somewhere. Then I asked Stormy what had happened at the laboratory. Oh, you'll love this. I think I could have been a milkman. A lab guy came in and asked me what I was doing there. I told him I was your girlfriend and that you were showing me around. I went to the ladies' room, and when I came out, I couldn't find you, so I just wandered in there. I don't think he noticed the screwdriver, and I didn't tell him you were in the closet. Some guy named Herman drove me home. I gave her a big hug. You're amazing, Stormy. We're quite a team. So, no harm, no foul. The rest of the week went on as usual. I did convince Joseph to give the house a try, and he vanished into the mist. And of course, I forgot to ask him for directions at first, so I didn't know where to go. I just drove back to the station, no point searching all over the East End. He was pretty miffed next time I saw him, but he could have remembered that he never told me where to go. But I did tell you three times on the way back. You weren't listening? 
Stormy was annoyed too with the night shifts, but we made the best of it. We didn't see much of each other. I'd come home and pass out. I'd wake up in time for us to have a late lunch together and maybe spend some of the afternoon together. But I didn't sleep that well in the daytime, so I was groggy a lot of the time. I tried my best to be cheerful though. I was really beginning to understand just how lucky I was. Then, on Saturday night, I showed up for what, for all I knew, could have been a six-month journey through the ice. The scientist told me that Stan wanted to see me right away. I had a sinking feeling as I climbed up the ladder to his office. Was I in trouble? Howie, nice to see you. How goes the research? Oh, fine, I haven't found anything yet, but I think I spent a few weeks on the ship. Ah, the Alice May. She's a fine vessel. I've spent my fair share of time on her. I'm sure you'll find something soon. And I gather you've been trying to get in touch with the librarian. He should have some good advice if you can reach him. How did you... I wasn't trying... As I told you last time, Howie, I have to be in many places at once. But that's not why we're here today. I wanted to ask you, Howie, why don't you tell me about your friend Stormy? Oh, she's wonderful, the best thing that's ever happened to me. That's very nice, Howie. And how well do you know her? I've known her now for over a year. Does she have any particular political leanings? Oh no, she's more like her dad, very practical, not political at all. She takes care of all the finances, she's good with machines. In fact, she just fixed Professor Lammy's toaster the other day, a real whiz. She picked that up from her father. Hmm, why don't you tell me about her father? Mr. Greenwood? He was a tinker. You didn't hear about him? There was some kind of mix-up on St. Gaff's, and he ended up being shot by the police. I see. And what was this mix-up? Oh, they thought he was a subversive, that he was trying to interfere with the thermalizer, but I'm sure he wasn't. He was really a nice man. I mean, I saw him taking pictures of the thermalizer once through the windows of the milk station, and for some reason he was convinced it had nothing to do with milk. But I explained it all to him and he was completely fine. Stan was really paying attention to me now. Stormy must have been upset when he was killed. Of course, but we talked about it. That's part of the reason she wanted to come here. Fresh start, you know? He shifted in his seat and I was starting to wonder what this was all about. Do I have to do the experiment still tonight? We can skip it for tonight, Howie. But I wanted to ask you about one last thing. It has come to my attention that something is wrong with the crepusculator. Do you happen to know anything about that? No, I don't. It has also come to my attention that Stormy was found wandering around the campus. In fact, she was found in the laboratory where the crepusculator is. It was time for some of my quick thinking. Oh, right. It's a funny thing, actually, what happened. I remember that night. I'd gone out, to church, actually, to see Father Abraxas. Maybe you know him. And I completely forgot to tell Stormy where I was going, and she told me afterwards that she got worried and thought I was here. So she came out and was looking around for me. That's when they found her. So she came here without your knowledge? Oh, absolutely. And she didn't mention anything about interfering with the crepusculator? No, sir, not at all. She said she'd come with you. She'd gone to the ladies' room and then couldn't find you. Oh, that's strange. I'm sure she was just confused. 
She probably didn't want to say that she'd come alone because then the milkman would have been suspicious. You know how we're always on the lookout for subversives. She just didn't know any better. Okay, Howie, that will be all for now. Wow, I'd just gotten out of that by the skin of my teeth. I made up my mind not to tell Stormy about it. I didn't want to worry her. And I think I'd calmed Stan about any worries he might have had. I went to see Father Abraxas Sunday night. We were going to discuss my case. I thought it was going to be a lot of complicated legal stuff, but it wasn't. And when do you think you started having this problem with being a seeker? Oh, I don't know. I want you to try hard to remember the very first incident. It could be very helpful. What happened right before? I'll try to think about it. Good. Perhaps we can argue that the demonic possession was the real cause of these unfortunate events. There have been cases of a demon bilocating. Perhaps he took control of your father as well. Maybe, father, I'm not sure. Tell me more about your father, Howie. What do you want to know? Do you have any good memories of him? Oh, sure. I think my earliest memory was of him chasing me around the house. I was hiding. I remember his laugh and his smile. I remember dancing around in our living room and my mom and dad were on the couch. I loved that they were watching me. That's good, Howie. Very good. Human beings are rarely entirely good or bad. You didn't hate your father, did you? There were good memories as well as bad. That's right. That's just how it was. After all, who is a man truly? The man he is at his best or at his worst? Who was the real Saint Fleming? The one who fed ice cream to puppies? Or the one who called fire down on the town of Ross Morangi when they refused to pay their milk tab? Very true, Father. What we want to do is focus the judge's attention on that one memory, that one glimpse into your relationship. There are times, my son, when one memory tells a truth that a whole lifetime conceals. I walked home that night through a quiet snowfall, not usual for this time of year. It was cold, but the cold brought me back to myself, made me feel alive the way the beginning of fall always does, with the closeness of a death that always seemed so far off. And I kept going through that memory over and over again, that man who wanted nothing to do with me by the end, chasing me and laughing. That moment seemed to be enough for both of us. Was it me or him that changed? Did I become so repugnant that he just couldn't stand me anymore? Did something happen to him? I was a kid after all, and kids change all the time. Adults just stay the same, so it must have been me. But now, walking through the snow in this city, that was my city, with its smokestacks and its bums and its paths that only I knew, I didn't have a lot to call my own, but the city was mine. It wouldn't ever turn on me. When I'd run away as a kid, I always felt like the stinking pavements and the run-down banks and coffee shops knew me in a way that no one else ever would. I'd be okay on the sidewalk, but then I had nowhere to stay, really. As a kid, I never thought I'd have my own little piece of the city. To tell you the truth, I always just figured I'd end up sleeping on the streets here and being one of those bums. Their smell repulsed me, 
but then I lingered. Maybe that would be me one day, and maybe that would have been okay. But now I had my own place. I had my girl. I was safe. The cold didn't bother me because I knew that I could go into a place that was warm with a woman who loved me and who I would do everything to protect. I opened my own door and walked inside, and there was Stormy with a big smile, bigger than normal. I completely forgot it was your birthday. I've been putting a bit of money away, come on. And she led me into the kitchen, and there on the kitchen table, as tears filled my eyes, was a brand new battery-powered radio. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. 